Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk to Murad Atesh of The Athletic about the end of the Jets season and what comes next and all that got said over the weekend that maybe the fans weren't the most thrilled about. And also, Daniel Fink of the Manitoba Moose, their play-by-play man, had quite a day on Sunday calling an overtime winner. We'll set up the rest of their series with Milwaukee on the podcast. Was there a lot of good? Was the season a success? Looking ahead, looking back, we're going to do it all now with Murat Atesh of The Athletic, who joins us now. And Murat, first of all, on that clip, Mark Scheifele saying a lot of good this year. Overall, was this a good year for the Winnipeg Jets? I mean, it really depends how you set your sights. I think that Winnipeg improved. And for all of the fan angst and all of the you know, maybe I would say PR missteps of Kevin Sheveldayoff's presser over the weekend. I think that a very real truth is that the Jets got better. Not only did they make the playoffs, admittedly, they only won one game whilst there. But during the year, you could watch an improved systemic team. You could watch, um, you know, Rick Bonus's impact on certain systems. The metrics looked better. Uh, there was a better team buy-in to defense. You had defense activated and contributing to the offense. There was a modest step forward with this group. Um, and that, I think, I'm sure we'll get into the, the trouble spots, Christian, but I think that that's an important place to start because they did get a little bit better. They did. And the question is, though, what is the bar you want to set for yourself? Because it seemed to me that players that spoke to the media Saturday were pretty okay with just making the playoffs, albeit a, a one game or one win and four losses in that postseason. Do you feel that there was a, a satisfaction with just making the playoffs? You know, it's interesting. Some guys genuinely did sound that way to me. And, you know, I put that question to shovel day off on Sunday, sort of as a spokesperson for the whole group, presumably, you know, what's the goal? What's the objective that you're looking to accomplish? Is this a draft and develop period? Is this a go for it all period? What's, what's the storyline? And, you know, he has long answers as he does. So it can be tough to parse out exactly what his truth is. He seemed to be conveying a sense of playoffs is the bar, make those. And then we feel like we have a chance to compete for the rest. And, you know, I'm sure there's gate revenue concerns that come with that as well. Um, and, you know, maybe the only person I can I can think of who absolutely said playoffs is not enough was Mason Appleton, you know, Winnipeg's third line right wing. And you were sort of hoping, I think, and I think fans were hoping, actually, heading into this weekend, acknowledging that the team got better. I think a lot of fans are looking for direction more than anything, regardless of what the standings were, the first round exit. And in that search for direction, I think the fans I've been communicating with online at the athletic in our comment section, they want a clear sense of purpose, direction. Here's where we can get better. Here's how we're going to work on getting better. And I think that's part of the tone that was missing from this weekend from a lot of those guys as well. One uh, of our listeners, Brian, texted in saying, how can our goalie say he had so much fun in the playoffs when the Jets won one game and got taken out in five? Does that make any sense? A lot of people saying Rick Bonus uh, was right in calling out the team. They're unhappy with the way the, the team responded down the stretch and in game five. And what we heard on Saturday was a, a pushback against Bonus. What do you read into that and what it says about this group right now? Well, I think that Rick Bonus arrived with a challenge here last year. And, 
you know, if you go based on the first major move he made, changing the captaincy, taking the captaincy away from Blake Wheeler, he was talking about opening up leadership to more people. Well, that was a reflection of the conversations he had with many, many, many Winnipeg Jets over the course of last summer. And I think that it's a suggestion that the culture needed to change in that group. And whether that particular change was enough to, to fix it or not, you know, we have to acknowledge that I think bonus arrived, especially after that playoff missing season, all of the angst with a lot of trouble spots. Um, certainly they, they won a lot early. They achieved first in the Western Conference by about January. All looked well. But I think when things got really tough for the Jets this season, when, you know, maybe they started believing their own headlines, maybe it was a matter of other teams preparing better for them once they were looking at them in the standings as number one front runners. Maybe there was a sense of respect that finally arrived that turned into teams being ready for them. Whatever it was that started the January, February, March slide, I think Rick Bonus was right to call it out and say, you know, in game five, we didn't have pushback. That reminds me of, you know, it goes back, and he obviously used harsher words, but it goes back, that reminds me of January, February, March, where the pushback wasn't there. And I think that for all the improvements Winnipeg made, it's telling that when things got tough, the Jets fell back on those own old habits where players tried to do one against everybody and um, really didn't have a lot of the effort or the 200-foot commitment that, you know, you could see from them when things were going well. That's a problem. And I think that Winnipeg's players have the right to be upset with their coach for going to the media and putting them on blast. But it's the sort of problem that it's a conflict that you have to be adults about. You can call them out in the media, but between coaches and players over the course of their exit meetings and moving forward into next year, I think Bonus was right to criticize his players, at least to hold a critical belief about his players after their performance. And it's the conversations they have that's going to show what if this team actually can be as good as they were this year again next year, because we know that there's some trouble coming for them roster-wise as well. So when you look at what was said on, on Saturday and players seemingly more upset that bonus said something like that than they were with their own play. That's how it was perceived by a lot of onlookers, including myself and a lot of fans we've heard from. Do you think that that's just emblematic of a group that hasn't gotten it done? What do you think's the, the underlying takeaway for you from uh, how they responded to what bonus said? Well, we can only go based on what the public discussions are what they tell us what they say to us and i think that behind closed doors i would sincerely hope that they're more willing to be self-critical and more willing to be critical of each other and ask for more out of themselves and out of each other but if you're only going based on what they said publicly the amount of we needed to be better was an absolute minimum i would say and even if you agree that Rick Bonus shouldn't blast the players through the media, which is a valid perspective, I think the amount of players who all went to that well, it just sort of made it sound like they weren't taking responsibility for their own struggles and their own performance. So there's a disconnect there. And I do think that there's a culture, and you heard it in Kevin Shovel Day off on Sunday as well, where the Winnipeg Jets don't seem willing from head to toe to name their own flaws unless they're using them as an example of something that they've overcome from years past. And, you know, again, I really hope privately that's a different discussion because publicly, if you're unwilling to name, you know, your, your own weaknesses, it's, it's harder to take your strengths seriously as well, I think. And I see so many fans upset about that. They think that, 
there's been a really overly rosy projection of Winnipeg's accomplishments this season without a willingness to take responsibility for the downtimes too. Yeah, there's definitely, I, I felt like a, a positive spin on what was said. And, and let's not say that Rick Bonus was perfect this year either. There were definite coaching missteps too down the stretch, whether it's the, the ice time of Nikolai Ehlers and, and the playing of, of Dubois and, and Connor in, in you know, more minutes than maybe needed to happen. There's, you know, there's blame to go around everywhere when a team gets into the playoffs and wins one game. But at the same time, does this group need one more year under a coach? Right. Do you think it takes more than one year for it to work out under a coach? Or do we look at Dallas in its first season with Pete DeBoer and we look at Vegas in its first season under Bruce Cassidy and, you know, Boston had in their first season under Jim Montgomery obviously met a, a quick demise yesterday to a team under its first season under Paul Maurice. All these first-year coaches maybe point to it not being a more than one-year journey. We know bonuses back for next year, but can we expect different results if the roster stays the same? <laughs> I, I think that's a great question. And, you know, if the roster stays the same, and I'm not sure that it will. As a matter of fact, I don't think that it will. I think it could be a worse roster heading into next season based on some of the players' contract status and probable need for at least one trade of, of a major player like perhaps if it's not Connor Hellebuck it could be Pierre-Luc Dubois Blake Wheeler seems to be talking about in, in reflective terms Mark Shifley also a 2024 unrestricted free agent Winnipeg has work to do just to return an equal quality roster let alone to improve it but your point about coaching is well taken absolutely you see first year coaches and some really spectacular coaching performances as well um, take teams to new heights. I also think that Winnipeg started from a long way back. I, I think you see some really bad habits emerge when the going gets tough in some of the players, whether that's abandoning defense, whether offensively it's trying to do it all by themselves. You know, there was a big talk of accountability heading into the season. Well, okay, Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor had their shift length called out during uh, preseason. Well, by the end of the season, to the second, at five-on-five, Shifley's shift lengths were as as they were the previous season. So I don't think that that necessarily changed. Um, And I guess what I'm trying to say is that Bonus had his work cut out for him. I think that there was improvement. And I also think that the space between now and improving the team to the point where you can think of them as an absolute front runner might be too big for one coach to to take over at this point, unless he's an absolute revolutionary, because some of those bad habits are, you know, most of a decade old in Winnipeg. And that's what I look at, Murat. It was five years ago to the day that was game three against Nashville, where we agree, I think that was the loudest we've heard the building. Game three this year was close. If they win in overtime, maybe that becomes the number one moment of Jets 2.0. But since then, that day, there's been one win in front of a whiteout in Winnipeg, which is mind-boggling. That was five years ago. And yes, one of the years there was COVID, and so there were there were no fans. And then another year there was COVID, so there was no hockey in Winnipeg. It was in a bubble in, in Edmonton. But still, this team has had not a lot of success with a lot of the same guys. So uh, from your perspective then, what moves do you think Kevin Sheveldayoff should look at making this offseason? Yeah, and I agree with you. The criticism is valid. They've qualified for the playoffs four of six times. They try to spin it as five because of the qualification round. They've won three playoff series in their tenure in Winnipeg. Uh, and, you know, one since uh, since that 2018 high watermark with largely the same core. So 
moving forward, what do you do if you're Kevin Sheveldayoff? And I think a lot of the following parts that I'm going to name are, are interdependent on each other, and it's tough to name an absolute starting spot. But Connor Hellebuck's a 2024 unrestricted free agent. He's told you that he wants nothing other than a chance to win the Stanley Cup. And my view on him is that he is still an elite goaltender. Goalies signed long-term legacy contracts are as dangerous as it gets. You've seen what happened even to Carey Price, the greatest Canadian goalie we've had in ages by the end of his contract, wasn't necessarily living up to it. So if you're Kevin Shoveldayoff, I think you start with Connor Hellebuck, who is so good you can't tank. You can't you can't get a high draft pick if you've got a goalie that good. Um, and you try to figure out what the lay of the land is there. Can you sign him for two or three years um, for perhaps a quite expensive contract reflecting that he's close to his prime at this stage? If you can, well, that influences what moves you, you can make with respect to Pierre-Luc Dubois. You're probably trading, but it influences the type of age and ability of player that you aim for in return. Perhaps if you have Hellebuck, you can trade Dubois for similarly aged pieces, early 20s, RFAs, second contracts, players with term, as opposed to pure futures, which would indicate more of a rebuild. Um, Kevin Sheveldayoff hasn't taken a rebuild off the table, uh, at least on Sunday he didn't, and I think that's because there's so many moving parts. If you don't have she- if you don't have Connor Hellebuck in the fold and you're forced to trade him, then it becomes about the return. He's a phenomenal goaltender, should take phenomenal value back, from teams like Edmonton, Los Angeles, who are legitimate contenders who need goaltending upgrades. Um, But then you also have to figure out what's happening with Dubois, who seems to be keen on testing free agency. His agent has said he'd like to play in Montreal in the past. I believe within private circles, Dubois has said the same. Uh, So you're in a spot where you're looking at another major move on that regard, too. It is a tough time to be when it's just general manager, I would say, because so many of those pieces are moving. They're moving parts to all of it. It's going to be very interesting what we see over the next uh, couple months, for sure. A pivotal summer in the franchise direction of the Winnipeg Jets. Murat, appreciate your time tonight and all through the season. And uh, we'll check in when news merits coming up in the next few months. Hey, thanks for having me. Didn't even get to Wheeler and Shifley, but thanks so much, Christian. Always a pleasure. That's Murata Tesh. Great work on The Athletic. You can find his thoughts on what we've seen the last couple of days as well. And yes, Shifley and Wheeler, they're part of that question as well of, of what happens next for this team with Wheeler's big contract. And obviously, speaking of contracts, where at the end, maybe it doesn't age as well. That's one the Jets have to worry about this offseason too. So, lot to chew on. They got, got one run in the inning already, thanks to the always fun reaching on error from Kevin Kiermeyer. Now, if you missed it yesterday afternoon, the Manitoba Moose were taking on the Milwaukee Admirals. And our friend Daniel Fink kind of lost his mind. Chisholm, fire, save, rebound, thanks! Yes, that is Moose play-by-play man Daniel Fink on the call yesterday afternoon. Jansen Harkins ended things early in OT, giving the Moose a 3-2 win over the Milwaukee Admirals, evening their best-of-five series at a game apiece with the series shifting to Wisconsin for games 3-4 and, if necessary, 5. Just an amazing call for Daniel and an amazing moment for the team. 
They were less than a minute away from falling behind two games to none. Cole Meyer tied the game with just 53 seconds left before Harkins won it in overtime. And Daniel now joins us on the show to tee up the rest of the series as the team gets set to head to the stage tomorrow morning. First of all, Daniel, how's your voice doing? Uh, doing just fine. Doing just fine. Amazing what uh, some some sleep and a lot of water can do. <laughs> How much fun did you have yesterday? Uh, it was it was a blast. I mean, uh, when you look at Friday's game, it uh, it was clearly two teams that uh, were shaking off twelve days of rust, and uh, it was back to what you would expect between uh, these two combatants between uh, the Moose and the Admirals. It was a back and forth affair. There was brilliant goaltending. There was chances. It was nasty and physical. It was every bit the playoff game you would expect to see. The crowd was electric at Canada Life Center, and of course, a little bit of overtime for the first time in the playoffs since the Moose have returned to Winnipeg here. So it had everything. You you could ever want in a game and uh, luckily for the home side it finished out the right way Jansen Harkins just 92 seconds into overtime gets the job done what's he meant to the team this season uh, I, I know I talked to Mark Morrison about it this last week obviously Harkins would love to be with the Jets but how important has he been in embracing his role with the Manitoba Moose this year yeah, the attitude he's come in with uh, to this team, and really from from day one, and he went up and came back down a couple of times. But uh, you know what? He's he's come in just looking to be every bit the dominant player he is at this level. I mean, he's a guy that developed through a couple of seasons in the AHL before becoming a point per game player, uh, and then ascending to the NHL. But coming back, he knew that he could be an elite player in this league, and he's been every bit that. I mean, during the regular season, he finished seventh in points per game in the league among players playing over thirty games uh, picked up 25 goals 25 assists it's not too often in the American Hockey League you have a player that gets that split especially uh, in less than 50 games so uh, being over a point per game uh, and then he's carried that right to the playoffs scored a big goal on uh, in Friday's game uh, that uh, at the time looked like it was going to get the Moose back into the game before some penalty trouble immediately thereafter kind of sunk them. But, of course, gets the overtime winner and comes through with uh, as clutch a goal as you could. And he's shown definitely that uh, that clutch instinct uh, of late. I mean, down towards the end of the season, he scored a couple big tying goals late in games, uh, scored some winners along the way. So uh, for him to come through the way that he did was obviously huge. Yeah, game one Friday did not get off to a good start for the Moose. Three nothing, they fall behind. Harkin scores, and then three more goals for for Milwaukee, and all of a sudden you're down six one. Now in that game, it was Evan Cormier getting the start, and then Arvid Holm came in in relief. Yesterday, it was Oscari Salmonen getting the start, and how brilliant was he in net? And I guess it's his crease going forward. Uh, yeah, that remains to be seen. I mean, the Moose have really moved around between their goaltenders uh, throughout the season, and uh, definitely. Uh, given everybody a chance to, to get into that, at least alternating between Arvid Holm and Oscar Salmon, and then neither one really went on an extreme hot streak for a long, long time. So uh, we will see what the coaching staff elects to do, but Oscar Salmon was uh, <laughs> he was what the Moose needed in that game because uh, coming off a game where uh, the goaltenders didn't necessarily have it that night, it's going to happen, and unfortunately it happened uh, in the playoffs uh, into two goaltenders, no less. Um, but Salmon came in, he was calm he was uh on top of the puck his rebound control was great and then he made some big big saves and uh, very interesting to watch both goaltenders in that game because Yaroslav Askarov Nashville Predators first rounder very athletic very mobile in the net he's 
bouncing around in the crease all over the place, making big saves while Salmon and very much uh, positional in front of the puck and making very uh, solid saves, except for a couple where he really had to lunge out or make that desperation move. So it, uh, it was definitely a battle of two different styles of net, but uh, a very good goaltender's duel that we were treated to. Now, one of the dynamics of the AHL postseason and the Calder Cup playoffs compared to some other leagues or many other leagues is that some of the personnel depends entirely on how the NHL team is doing. The, the Moose didn't really get anybody from the Jets after they were eliminated, but Nashville gave a decent number of players to Milwaukee, whether it's Luke Evangelista or Kiefer Sherwood, players that had been with the Admirals at times during the season, but Nashville put together that, that late run. The addition of some of those players... How has that bolstered Milwaukee's firepower in this series, and and how does that change things going forward in the final three here? Yeah, and you mentioned that uh, that uniqueness to the league of the the teams changing on the eve of the playoffs, and uh, Milwaukee's even maybe a special case in this because usually you'll see three or four guys come back, something like that, because the NHL team has to have those players on the uh, on the AHL roster at the trade deadline, and then they only have four recalls. Well, Milwaukee and uh, Nashville got into a situation where, because of emergency recalls, things like that, they just had to keep pulling up more and more players, and luckily for Milwaukee, uh, the Predators uh, went out and made some futures deals at the AHL level to bring in some depth to help them get through the end of the season, because they were as picked over as it comes, and they did a really nice job to, to stay in the fight and finish second in the Central Division. Well, then they reap the benefits as all the players that uh, went up during that span, all of a sudden they're coming back to the roster. So, like you said, they're players the Moose have seen throughout the season on that uh, on that AHL roster, and most of them played the bulk of the season with the team. Just uh, Mark Jankowski, Michael McCarron, a couple guys that played most of the season with the NHL club. So, you get all of that firepower back. I mean, Evangelista definitely uh, one of the top rookies in the American Hockey League led Milwaukee in scoring against the Moose this season with 10 assists and uh, has already made his impact on the series. Jankowski, a veteran presence up the middle. McCarron, big heavy forward. And the list goes on and on and on. So uh, when you have those key players coming in, luckily for the Admirals, they had some time to kind of get everybody on the same page with that 12-day break. And uh, you see those elite shooters like a Phil Tomasino, guys like that, that uh, the difference they can make in that first game. But the Moose did a real good job shutting down some of those weapons in game two. Yeah, by my count, there are eight players on the Admirals who dressed in yesterday's game that also dressed for the Predators when they played the Jets April 8th. So there's uh, obviously some bolstering there. Does that create a, I don't want to say unfair advantage because every team, you know, has to deal with the ups and downs of the NHL season too, but does that maybe give Milwaukee a leg up in this matchup? Well, I mean, you're talking about uh, guys who have been playing in the National Hockey League. I think that the Admirals are, and, and Predators are a great example of uh, you look at the AHL and there's a lot of players that could be playing in the NHL, whether it's uh, opportunity or just the right fit, things like that. Uh, there's NHL players all throughout the American Hockey League and, uh, and when you're talking about replacement level players in the NHL they're called that for a reason because there are options in the AHL 
So when you get those guys, they get that bump. They've been playing in the National Hockey League. They've been playing at the highest level possible for, in some cases, a couple of months. Then you come back to the AHL and you're at a different pace. So it's possible that 12-day break may have cooled some of that off, but uh, you have young players on that Nashville team that got some incredible experience and now are able to apply that in the Calder Cup playoffs. And we have seen players come back and make that impact. I mean, you look at uh, last season, uh, the Milwaukee Admirals got Cody Glass, Connor Ingram back and they made it an immediate impact on that series, eventually taking it in five games against the Moose. So this time it's not mid-series that they're getting those players back. It was more the Moose getting their goaltenders back uh, on the day of the series starting. So its uh, I don't know if I'd call it an advantage, but obviously you want to have your best roster, and the Admirals certainly have that right now. One advantage they do have is home ice. We saw last year the Moose as the higher seed, where two games one and two are at the lower seed. And then you've got games three through five at the higher seed. The Moose fell behind 2-0, putting a lot of pressure on them to win all three games at home. They got the first two, but not game five. So they end up losing in five. They get one of two at home uh, yesterday in overtime. They have to win two of the next three games in Milwaukee. How daunting a task is this for them? I think it's 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 tough overall. I mean, you were talking about the firepower that Milwaukee crew has. Well, now they have last change. They can apply those players where they want them more specifically for Carl Taylor and his crew. That said, uh, the Moose, uh, in recent memory, back in 1718, uh, ended up splitting on home ice in the first two games, went into Grand Rapids, won two games there in a very hostile environment. The Moose have been pretty solid in Milwaukee over the last few seasons at uh, picking up wins this season. Only one win on the road, but to the, uh, the flip side of that, Milwaukee only had had one win on the road in uh, Winnipeg this year. Excuse me, hearing that voice go a little bit. Um, but uh, when you look at this this series, I think the Moose are pretty confident. Uh, they, they know that it's going to be a tough task. They know it's not going to be easy. They know they're going into a hostile environment. Um, but uh, they're going to take it game by game. And uh, really, when it comes down to it, uh, whether it's uh, at home or on the road, you just need to play better than the other team. And uh, that's what they're going to be setting out to do. Do you like this 2-3 format where the road team starts at home or the lower-seeded team starts at home? I think it's interesting. I mean, it's very much based on just the, the travel of the league, and it's kind of one of the quirks of the American Hockey League. I mean, you'll see in the different series based on how close teams are that they'll play it out in a different format. But uh, you know what? It certainly uh, adds in a, a different element. I think puts more pressure almost on the, the higher seat to get that split because uh, you lose both games on the road, like in theory you're supposed to, I guess. Uh, it puts a lot of pressure on you coming back home. And the Moose, they felt that. They fell down two nothing in that game three if you remember back last season came back eventually won one game four as well before eventually falling in game five so the admirals came away with what they needed took a lot of pressure off themselves with that game one win uh, and then uh, were unable to hold on to game two but the moose now taking a little bit of momentum though it'll be a couple days between the games so uh, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out it certainly uh, is a tough test like you said to go in and try and win two out of three on the road on the note of adding players, the Jets signed Akita Chibrikov to an entry-level deal today coming over from Russia. He will spend now time with the Manitoba Moose. He's got a pro tryout. He'll join the team for the remainder of the season. Is this a player who could get into the lineup, or is it more so just getting with the team, practicing with the team, etc.? Do you know? 
that's probably a little above my pay grade. Okay. But, um, <laughs> um, but uh, you, you know what? Uh, re- regardless uh, of if he gets into a game or not, it's still valuable experience to to get in with the team, get acclimated with the organization. Um, and we've still, we've seen that in the past. I mean, uh, Daniel Torkerson, Henry Nikonen came uh, to join the team late in the season. Now they got in some regular season games, and Henry Nikonen's case actually played in one of the postseason games. But uh, I mean, you're you're looking at a player who is just getting over to North America and. Uh, there's a lot going on uh, for Nikita Chibrikov getting settled in right now. So uh, we'll see. I mean, if the if the team thinks that he that he can help, then uh, maybe he'll get into a game. But I mean, there's other players as well who have been uh, kind of in a similar position. Danny Shilkin, uh, Dmitry Kuzmin joining the team, Carson Golders on an amateur tryout as well, uh, and the list goes on. So the the Moose have uh, plenty of options uh, in the youth department if they feel that somebody might be able to step in and help them win a game. Finally, just from a curiosity standpoint, because I've never been to Milwaukee before, on a on an off day in Milwaukee, what is there to do there? Milwaukee is a, a great spot. It's uh, it's a great spot to be, and especially the, the the hotels and things like that, right down in that kind of entertainment district with Pfizer Forum just down the street. So, uh, unfortunately, Milwaukee Bucks out of the playoffs. That would have been uh, pretty uh, good timing to maybe catch an NBA playoff game. But uh, you know what? There's uh, there's great spots to grab a bite and uh, try those uh, famous Milwaukee cheese curds, things like that. I'll always extol the virtues of the, the snacks. But uh, it's a great spot to be, and uh, we've spent a lot of time in Milwaukee the last couple of seasons so it's always great to go back and unfortunately the brewers are out of town this week but uh still no shortage of things to do and maybe you get to call some wins daniel and then you'll get to call more games at home so we uh wish you the best of luck with the moose and thanks for coming on the show tonight well thanks for having me christian and uh look forward to having everyone listening in this week and you'll thank the play-by-play man for the manitoba moose game three is wednesday night streaming at cgob.com and we'll take some live chunks on the CJOB Sports Show. But Friday, Game 4, it could be a clinching series. It could be a, or a series clinching game. It could be a game they need to win to hang on and force a Game 5. That one will be live on CJOB Friday. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that they should come to this.